Good morning, uh, Restoration Anglican, and welcome to newcomers or visitors today. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you all and serve you all through the preaching of God's Word. My name is Andrew. Uh, I have the privilege and joy of being a ministry resident here along with my wife, Jessica, and um, it's a blessing to serve you through preaching this morning. Uh, if you would, please pray with me uh, as we open the Lord's Word together. Heavenly Father, would you quiet our hearts? I ask that, and I have two aims on Christ the King Sunday for us this morning. First, I want to situate us uh, in sacred time. Where are we and where have we been uh, taking this uh, liturgical year and reaching its culmination? Where are we? That's the first thing. And then second thing, I want us to gaze upon Christ, our King. So those two things. So let's start by situating ourselves in sacred time. The church calendar is a way of making meaning in the world through seasons and special days shaped around the gospel and the kingdom of God. And today on Christ the King Sunday, we reach its culmination. And so I want to take a little journey through our liturgical pilgrimage of sorts to help help us feel the gravity of, of where we're going and where we are today. So our liturgical pilgrimage starts in Advent, where we sit in the dark, and we await the arrival of the light of the world. And during Christmastide, we marvel at the mystery of the gift of our Savior King who enters into the world by taking on our humanity born in a raggedy stable in Bethlehem. In the season of, of Epiphany, we come with a sense of wonderment at the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, who has brought redemption and offers his kingdom for all peoples. In Lent, we remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. We learn that a true expression of worship not only comes through laughing, but also lament. And so we fast, and we fast, and we fast for 40 days. And then we take a walk with Jesus through Holy Week, following the footsteps of our King in his passion. We begin with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where we stand with the crowd only this time saying, Hosanna, the King has come. And we sit with him in the upper room, reclining with him at table with a chalice and bread. And we are humbled that the king of all becomes the servant of all. We see him kneeling beside our dirty feet with a basin of water. And it's this Thursday that he gives us the mandate, Maundy Thursday, to love one another and what love he has shown us. And yet, he's betrayed with a kiss. 
We stand in the shadows as he is led like a sheep to the slaughter, and there he's unjustly tried, beaten, whipped, scoffed, ridiculed. And this time we find ourselves in a different crowd. We raise our voices and say, crucify him, crucify him. What good can come from this Friday? And we tremble, for we find ourselves in darkness again. Time has come. The time has come for this holy hour of his suffering. The Lamb of God, slain. The King of Kings, crucified. Holy Saturday is marked with a deathly silence. But oh, bright morning, the dawn of Easter springs piercing forth light into our most darkest night. Oh, most hallowed day, Sunday shines forth with a beacon of light at the sight of an empty tomb. Light has conquered darkness. New creation bursts forth with a new song and its theme restoration. And so we feast, and we feast, and we feast, and we feast for 50 days to celebrate the victory of our King. And with full hearts, we stretch upwards as our King ascends into heaven to take his rightful place at the throne of his Father. And with this promise, he will come again to consummate his kingdom, and he will set all things right. And yet he never really leaves us. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, we hear him promise. And so at Pentecost, his promise becomes made manifest, and we are emblazoned by the power of the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon us, and so, shout forth with your prophetic imaginations, O sons and daughters, dreamers and visionaries. Let's reimagine the world now in light of the dawning of the kingdom. Oh, how we might enter into the eternal kingdom and see it erupt within the pseudo-kingdoms of our world. And so, architects, I'm looking for Bill. Architects, poets, painters, philosophers, carpenters, metalworkers, sculptors, teach us to reimagine the kingdom. And this brings us to ordinary time. And there's nothing ordinary about this season. The ordering of our days is not meaningless, but rather we're sent out on mission, and the kingdom of God pulls us towards its consummation, and we, with hope, look to Christ and long to see him face to face. And this brings us to Christ the King Sunday, where we reach the pilgrimage of our liturgical year, 
and we gaze upon Christ, our King. This is our place in sacred time. From Christ's birth, life, death, resurrection, and his enthronement, today we gaze upon Christ at our King. So three things from our passage today. I want to look at three titles of Christ. So if you would, please uh, turn with me to Revelation 1. Three titles, primarily from verse 5 in Revelation. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the king, kings on earth. So just a quick outline, three titles of Christ that I want us to meditate on as we gaze upon him. First, he's our faithful witness. His kingdom is from this world, or not from this world, but it's for this world. Second, Christ our king is the firstborn from the dead. He's making all things new by the power of his resurrection. And third, Christ our king is the ruler of kings on earth. He's restoring all cultures and kingdoms through the power of his resurrection, and he calls us on mission uh, as, kingdom, as a kingdom of priests. Okay, so those three points, let's unpack them uh, together. First, Christ is our king, the faithful witness, who testifies that his kingdom is not from this world, but for the world, and the truth of this kingdom comes through a cross. We see this enacted for us in our gospel passage in John 18, which has been known as the clash of two kingdoms. We see here Jesus on trial before Pilate, and in confrontation with this Roman governor, as a representation of Rome, he stands as this symbol of the so-called secular power of the age in opposition to Jesus in his lowly majesty. And listen to the words of Jesus' testimony as the faithful witness. Three times he talks about my kingdom in contrast to Pilate's interrogation. Are you a king? What did you do? Jesus says, my kingdom is not from this world. My kingdom is not like this world. It doesn't come by violence, coercion, deceit, oppression. My kingdom is not from this world. Now, the otherworldliness of Christ's kingdom is not here an easy sort of escapism or flight from the world, but notice the movement of Christ's kingdom is for the world, for the life of the world. Jesus enters into the world as the God-man for its redemption. In verse 37, he says, For this purpose I was born, showing his humanity, and for this purpose, I entered into the world, showing his divinity. 
Why? To bear witness as the faithful witness to the truth. The modus operandi of the kingdom is incarnational. Jesus loves his world and does not abandon it. But he enters into the world amidst its brokenness, amidst its pain, amidst the struggles. His kingdom, though not from this world, breaks into the brokenness of our world. In this way, Jesus wants to transfigure our imaginations about politics, power, socioeconomics, and the common good. The kingdom of God is shaped by the cross. And he wants us to reimagine the kingdom as cruciform. As we approach the end of the Gospel of John, we see that this true kingdom is ushered in by a king that does take a throne, and yet his throne is a cross. And he rightfully is given a crown, only in this instance the crown is one made of thorns. Christ, our king, is a faithful witness, even unto death, for the life of the world. Second, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. As the firstborn of the dead, Jesus is our king who is making all things new through the power of his resurrection. The title of firstborn here is a royal title, a designation or position of honor bestowed upon Christ, our king, the true king, the true king who, through his faithful witness, rises from the dead. Listen to how Paul unpacks this title for us in Colossians 1. And hear how Paul tells us Christ as our king is this cosmic king renewing all things through his death and resurrection. Here's Paul. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, powers of this world. All of those were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent, the king over all. For in him all the fullness of God's deity was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." Jesus is the firstborn, the cosmic king who enters into the world to make all things new, including thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And by his cross and resurrection, he makes a kingdom of peace. This is our king, the firstborn from the dead, who is making all things new by his cross and resurrection. And finally, 
Christ, our King, is ruler of the kings on earth. We've been considering that the kingdom of God comes not from this world, but is for this world. And our king is making all things new by his death and resurrection. But with our final title, we see that he is, in fact, king of kings and lord of lords. One, Jesus is the ruler of the kings on earth. And this phrase, kings on earth, is actually quite interesting. It shows up throughout the book of Revelation, especially in uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 17 and 18, where these kings on earth are described as harlots of the beast. And they are seduced by the sways of the devil and making war with the lamb and his bride. We see the kingdoms and cultures of this world in opposition to Christ. And yet, we're saying that Christ's kingdom is for the world. At the end of Revelation, we see this striking picture. In Revelation 21, we read this about the kings on earth. The city, New Jerusalem, and the Lamb are its light. And all the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And they will bring into the New Jerusalem the glory and honor of the nations. We see here a beautiful picture of the New Jerusalem opened up by the King of Kings to invite in the broken kingdoms, the pseudo-kingdoms of this world as he restores all things new. Even these kingdoms, we see for them a future that Christ, the King, is reconciling all things back to himself. They enter into this new Jerusalem with shouts of praise and worship and glory to the true King. This is Christ our King who redeems broken cultures and the kingdoms of our world. And he invites them into his gracious rule. Undoubtedly, we would say, even in the broken kingdoms and cultures of our world, there is beauty, and there is truth, and there is goodness, and Jesus is not going to let that go to waste. All glory is derivative from the true God of glory. And all that is true and good and beautiful will be redeemed and restored in the new Jerusalem. And finally, what role then do we have in all of this? What role do we have in the renewal of the kingdoms of the earth? In verse 6 of Revelation 1, we read that Christ has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. This is the priesthood of all believers. We are invited into the mission of the kingdom, and we are here to gather up the glory of this world and offer it back to God with thanksgiving. When we see goodness and beauty and truth in the world, we say, that's a picture of the true kingdom, 
and it's breaking into this world. And if we had eyes to see and ears to hear, we would catch a glimpse of the new Jerusalem. And so perhaps, I'm just trying to use my sacramental imagination here, but perhaps this is what we are doing on behalf of the world every Sunday at our liturgy of the Eucharist. As we approach the table, what do we acclaim? All of this comes from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Our resources, gifts, culture-making for the common good, we take up and we give thanks back to our King. And this is what the nations will do on that great day in the New Jerusalem as we celebrate the great wedding feast of the Lamb. Christ, our King, is faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.